Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 44 of Pigskins and Nylon, presented by Tabbies.com, the best LTA edible on the market. I'm Wally Lukashensky, and I'm joined today by my good friends and co-host, Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. The Big Ten Championship is here, and boy, is it a big one. Michigan has a chance to clinch their first-ever college football playoff berth, and Iowa is trying to claim their first outright Big Ten Championship since 1985. Should make for a great one, but let's first say hello to the boys now. Casey and Hayden, how are you guys doing today? I am doing fantastic, Wally. I actually had the, I took a personal day today because Lauren and I went to the Ohio State Duke game last night. It was kind of a late night and I knew it was going to be, so I had planned this ahead. So we went and did some Christmas shopping today and then I had to go to football and then now she's putting up the Christmas decorations and I, I was putting up a brand new 65 inch TV downstairs. So yeah, just staying busy on this uh, personal day of mine. Really excited for, well, I guess Michigan basketball plays tonight and then excited for the championship games this weekend. Yeah, you've kept yourself busy this last week. I started telling everybody that you're our little Marlins man now between going to a two-verse-five Ohio State-Michigan game on Saturday and then followed up with Ohio State upsetting the number one team in the country in Duke the following week. You really are just the man of the people right now following these big games. But Hayden, we're going to go over to you now. Much like me, wasn't at the game last night. Doesn't mean we were any less happy about it. Hayden, how are you doing today, man? Wally, I am doing fantastic. I've had the best two nights of sleep that I have had in a very, very long time. I've been in the best mood I've been in in a very long time. I have been trying to prepare myself to watch the Big Ten Championship this game this weekend, and I'm not there yet, but I'm sure I'll get there eventually. Ohio State got a huge win last night. That was that was pretty incredible. Uh, especially, I mean, it was, even with like six minutes, they were down like nine points still. That game was unbelievable. I saved myself a lot of money because I was going to go large on Duke minus three last night. Thank God I didn't pull the trigger. So, yeah, good good things, I guess. Yeah, that was one of those games where it felt like everybody on the planet would have bet their life on Duke minus three, which is the, everything you need to know about what Vegas is operating under. It was a good day to have OSU plus three. I don't know how Vegas is so good at what they do. It's it's mind-blowing. Because I, I don't know what the percent of bets on Duke last night would have been, but it had to have been upwards of 80%, right? I mean, it had to have been something egregious. I don't know how, the, how they always pull this off. No, and it's not consistent to one sport either. They do this for everything. It could be like backgammon in an alley, and they'd find a way to have a perfect line on it. But hey, that's the beauty of what they do. Anytime you get into the 80-85%, occasionally you hear about Vegas losing their ass on a game. Last night it just happened to be, it wasn't their night. Or I guess it wasn't our night. I guess his uh, Vegas, they were pretty happy. But we'll get more into those basketball games here in a second. But first, we're going to throw it over here to Casey and get us a little bit of an update on our football recruiting corner. Doesn't sound like too much has been going on on the basketball front. Yeah, we haven't had any basketball recruits since the last time we did an update. But we've we've had a few football recruits commit to some Big Ten schools. Rutgers landed a three-star defensive back from Maryland. 
Michigan landed a nice four-star defensive lineman for the 2023 class. And then Ohio State, right before I got on here, I was looking, they landed a high four-star quarterback from the state of Utah in the 2022 class. So I'm replacing Quinn Ewers in this class. I know when he reclassified, everybody was kind of wondering if they would get a quarterback or go after uh, Drew Allar, the Penn State commit. But they they found this guy, stole him away from, looks like, USC. So, you know, good for Ohio State. There were a few commits that, you know, didn't have any any rating or whatever. But as you could imagine, some pretty decent crystal balls for uh, Michigan as well after the, the Ohio State game last week. They did get a not rated defensive end that is six foot seven, two 225 pounds out of the state of Texas. So that was interesting. But yeah, outside of that, that's the update that we have. Thanks as always for the update. Six, seven is scary no matter what, especially in a high school body. So we'll see if we end up hearing that name again here in the next 12, 24 months or so. Now we're going to throw it over to you, Hayden. Can you give us a little bit of an update this last week since Sunday for basketball, we had the ACC Big Ten Challenge starting. Let us know what's going on there. Yeah, guys, this, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you have, this ACC Big Ten Challenge has been super, super fun to watch. There's been a bunch of good games, and right now the Big Ten is actually leading. So, you know, as we record Wednesday night and games are happening right now, hopefully that maintains, and I think the Big Ten can clinch tonight if they if everything goes the right way for them. So, hopefully that, that works out for us. Iowa... Uh, won a big game against Virginia by a point. Joe Toussaint hit a game-winning bucket. Illinois beat Notre Dame, 82-72. Purdue beat the shit out of Florida State. Indiana, unfortunately, lost in double overtime to Buddy Bayheim and the Fighting Orange. Minnesota wins on a late bucket. Still unbeaten. Still unbeaten, Minnesota. Uh, Northwestern falls on the road to Wake Forest. Rutgers beats Clemson. And then last night, Ohio State pulls off a big upset, beats Duke at home, ending the game on a huge scoring run. They were trailing most of that game, so big big time for the Big Ten here. Tonight, real quick, and then we can talk about whatever game you want. Louisville is at Michigan State. Nebraska is at NC State. Virginia Tech plays at Maryland. Wisconsin is at Georgia Tech. Michigan plays at North Carolina. I think that'll be a good one. And Miami travels to Happy Valley to play at Penn State. Thanks for that, Hayden. And before I throw it over to Casey, yeah, I'm an idiot too. You've heard how we've been talking about the Big Ten basketball teams. It's like how Casey has his Iowa Hawkeyes. For some reason, I found myself not only married to the Nebraska football team right now, but also to the basketball team where you have all these good games on. And here I am watching Nebraska at NC State. Because I can't get enough of the McGowan brothers right now. But, Casey, we will go to you now. Of these games this last week, any key takeaways you have? And then anything, I guess, for tonight or this week ahead that you're like looking forward to or really honed in on? So, a couple of takeaways. I thought it was nice to see Iowa get a good win. I believe that was on the road. So, you know, Virginia's typically a really good team. So that was a really good win. Purdue looks like they're the best team in the conference, though. They they really do. You know, if they can shoot 60% from three, my goodness, they're going to be tough to beat. Good for Minnesota. Uh, we had very low expectations for them coming into the year. But then, yeah, this Ohio State-Duke game, Duke got off to a slow start and then got hot and then kind of maintained that lead the entire game. And 
ultimately didn't score a, a single bucket. Like, they didn't have a field goal the last, uh, I think it was close to six minutes of the game. Like Hayden mentioned, Ohio State ended the game on a 14-1 to run, which was kind of crazy. It kind of felt like the uh, Ohio State got Duke's bigs into, into foul trouble, obviously. I think the Duke bigs combined for 18 fouls or something, 18 out of their 23 fouls called. That was really key in that game because Zed Key was able to really do whatever he wanted down low for the most part. But, yeah, I mean, Big Ten could clinch tonight. I think the all you need is, what, eight wins or is it nine? I think it's eight. I think it's eight, too. So looking at the games tonight, I think Michigan State probably gets Louisville. I'm not. What's the Nebraska game at right now, Wally? Right now it is 35-33 Nebraska late in the first half. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I mean, shoot, Nebraska could pull off a little, little upset there. And then, obviously, I'll keep my eyes on the Michigan-North Carolina game later. But it's just really, really hard to imagine that the Big Ten doesn't win this challenge with a 6-2 lead heading into the final night. Casey, I have a question for you. Or, or Wally, too, both of you, I guess. I, I think Casey's probably watched more basketball than I have so far. And maybe I'm overreacting because he had a good game last night. Do you think that Zed Key could be a problem for some teams in the Big Ten this year? I mean, probably not any team that has significant size. I've ended up thinking Purdue, uh, Illinois, Michigan. But like outside of those three, do you think he could could have a real impact on this on the season? I absolutely do. And like I mentioned, you know, he was able to get those bigs into foul trouble, even against teams with size like Purdue, Illinois, Michigan. If you're able to have Hunter Dickinson and Kofi Coburn on the bench, obviously that takes away a, a lot of size. So if he's able to continue to play the way he's you know, been playing this year so far, he can def- definitely be an, a problem for the other Big Ten teams this year. Yeah, I mean, outside of those big three that we always talk about, he can obviously hold his own. I mean, that's, I think, what he is going to fit in in terms of bigs in the Big Ten is also where you're going to also see Ohio State in terms of the conference, right around that fourth, fifth, sixth best team. They're going to be good. They're going to compete with a lot of teams. But at the end of the day, it's not going to be anything exceptional. But a couple takeaways I wanted to throw out there real quick on the games this week. You already talked about Ohio State. I'm not going to leave or, or talk too much more about that, as most of the people have already heard their fill of that game. But Minnesota, we have this kind of weird kiss of death on this show where first we talked about at the very beginning, Illinois football, then they have a little bit of a resurgence, a turnaround year. Now we talk down on Minnesota, all basketball offseason, and they're 6-0 and finding ways to win. And it's been team play so far. I didn't get to see a ton of that game, but I turned in for the last six, seven minutes, seeing that it was going to be close down the stretch. And their perimeter defense was outstanding the other day, very quick to close out. And I mean, they're holding teams... Everybody, not just Pitt, but they held Pitt to 20% from the three-point line to force 12 turnovers, too. It's going to be crazy to see if they can actually find them's way into the bubble discussion. We'll see. I, they're beating a lot of bad teams right now. But the other main takeaway, I'd say, is that Purdue, not only do they look like they could be the best team in the Big Ten right now, they look like a legit national title threat. If they can get the shooting that they can or have so far with the bigs that they have, too, I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. All they need to do is avoid foul trouble. And I think they're going to be tough for anybody to beat in the country. Yeah, that was the the team that I really was going to highlight because the way they've been shooting the rock has been, I mean, unbelievable. And if they can keep that up, I don't know who's going to beat them. Uh, I, usually that stuff averages can out. Can I ask a question real quick? Yeah. 
do you guys, because uh, I don't watch a lot of the non-Big Ten at this stage of the year, but Florida State's typically really big too. So I thought that was going to be a matchup where at least Purdue might have fits. They dominated the whole game. Is Florida State not big this year, or did they just get manhandled by better bigs? You know, honestly, I, I don't know, but I feel like Florida State is always one of those teams that gets hot towards the end. Like, like they have, like, big guys, but they're always, like, young or maybe just raw. And then by the end of the season, they're, like, primed and ready to go for conference tournament and then obviously the NCAA tournament. So you know, maybe that's the case in this scenario. Feel free to throw on or keep going what you were saying before. Sorry to cut you off. I just popped in my head. I had to get it out. No, I just, I mean, if they can if they can shoot the rock like this, I don't know who's going to beat them with the size that they have and, you know, just the way that they've been, they've been playing. Usually I feel like that stuff is going to average itself out and they're not going to be shooting this blazing percentage from behind the arc. But either way, I, they look like a real, real tough team. All you Big Ten basketball fans, hang in there. Once this weekend's over, it's going to be a lot easier to focus on basketball for us. But naturally, we are going to be wanting to talk a little bit about the Big Ten Championship today and what else has been going on in college football, which we'll jump into right now. Before we get into the craziness of this week, I just wanted to give an update on the college football rankings. Michigan is up to number two. Ohio State fell this week to number seven. Michigan State is at 11, and Iowa is at 13. So only four Big Ten teams in the top 25 this week. But I did want to ask you guys a question, because I think, and maybe I'm wrong and you guys want to say whatever you think it would be, but you would imagine the best case for the committee is Georgia beats Bama, Michigan beats Iowa, UC beats Houston, and Oklahoma State's Baylor to make their job as simple as possible. Chalk? Chalk. And that's what we typically see. They don't want to have to make decisions that are going to really upset people, especially at this stage of the college football year. But there's always a mass chaos scenario out there. And if it happens, I'm always interested to hear what we would think would occur. And in this case, if Georgia did beat Bama, Iowa finds a way to beat Michigan, UC loses, and Baylor beats Oklahoma State, who would you have or who do you think the final four would be? And I understand this is very, very unlikely. But just for the sake of conversation, who would the top four be in that scenario? Wow. Could you, Wait, could you repeat the scenario again? Georgia beats Bama. Iowa beats Michigan. Houston beats Cincinnati. And then Oklahoma State would lose to Baylor in the ultimate chaos scenario. Yeah, okay. So um, it, obviously in that situation, Georgia would be one. By default, you would have to move Notre Dame up to two. I think you would have probably Baylor at three in that scenario. And then, gosh, you, I mean, I think obviously another two-loss team gets in there. You'd probably choose between Michigan and uh, I guess I guess Michigan would be there. I, I don't know. I don't know who else. I don't think Cincinnati would stay at four if they lost. And I, I, I mean, I think that the committee would value the Michigan-Ohio State head-to-head. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think probably Michigan. Did you mention Baylor? I did mention Baylor. Baylor would be at three. Hayden, I'd love to hear your pick, and I'll give my top four after here. As boring as that sounds, I think I literally am going to agree with Casey. I I, I think with the loss, Cincinnati is toast. Losing this late, I think Oklahoma State would be toast, which means you have Notre Dame two. 
Baylor three, yeah, I, and I, I mean, resume wise, I think Michigan would be the best option there. Unless you're looking, I, I don't know, like what Oregon's gonna do if they win the Pac-12, maybe you could give them a nod with a Pac-12 championship. But if they lost, shit, then it looks like you're almost talking head to head with Michigan and Michigan State, which in that situation, who won the game, right? Man, see, I actually thought a little bit differently than you guys just because of the committee's apparent disrespect to the Big 12 at least midway through this year and obviously their disrespect for UC and Notre Dame not, at least for UC not playing in a Power 5 and Notre Dame not having a conference championship. I think you would still see Michigan at 2. I think that they wouldn't punish them too much and because everybody else is pretty much losing right there, right behind them as well. I think you would see Notre Dame go to three, which that's the only difference is it'd be two versus three. It's not a big deal one way or another to me. But then I actually think Alabama would get in as a two-loss team that lost in the SEC title before you would be getting into some of these two-loss champions because of how little they look at the Big 12. And we got to see how high they put Alabama up all year, even when they weren't really all that impressive. I hope the situation doesn't happen, Wally. This would be a disaster. It was, I'm just. It was one of those things. I was looking at the schedule. I'm like, I want to ask just to get an idea out there because it, all of these games are at least going to be, you'd imagine, competitive. Well, and, and here's here's a caveat to it. And the committee already talked about this a little bit. What do they do with Notre Dame without a head coach? Because they mentioned that on the show, how like they will take that into consideration. Which, I mean, I probably would take that into consideration too, right? I mean, I, I'm not saying they shouldn't get in, but not having your head coach and, I mean, they don't know who's, they're, who they're going to hire. I'm sure they have an interim coach right now. Is it Freeman? I, I, I haven't I'm just, seen I, yet who was announced as interim. I haven't seen it either. So I, I think that does have an impact. Now, I don't know if they would be left out because of it, but we're, we're talking down a, a crazy path here. Well, to speak on them saying they'll take it into account, they said the same thing back in 2014 before the Big Ten title game, that because Ohio State was on their third quarterback, you have to take it into account on how that's going to affect the team right now. And had Ohio State not blown the doors off Wisconsin, they probably don't get in. And Notre Dame doesn't have the luxury of a conference championship to prove they're still playing hard. So this is unprecedented. Which is their own damn fault, Absolutely. But I am going to switch gears here. State college football, before we get into the Big Ten championship game, I know it's not directly Big Ten news, or at least not all of it, but I think it would be insane not to talk about it because there will be a fallout in the Big Ten. But this week, you had Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma to go to the University of Southern California, where he had been for weeks, rumored to LSU, and the night of the Bedlam loss, tells everybody, I will not be the head coach at LSU, never mentioning USC, allegedly claimed. Not lying. Yeah. <laughs> He wasn't lying, but then he claims that there was never even a contract discussion until 8.30 the next morning. And that's a little fishy, but we'll we'll get into that in a second. Notre Dame then, because of the fallout there from the LSU going after Lincoln Riley, lose Brian Kelly to the Tigers down there of LSU. That's insane too, we'll get into that. But here, a little bit closer to home, you have Brent Pride, Penn State fans, you know him as your defensive coordinator, or former defensive coordinator, he gets the head coaching job down there at Virginia Tech. Josh Gaddis's name was thrown around 
makes you wonder maybe because of the playoffs and everything, if he was saying, hey, give me until after the season and Virginia Tech wanted to expedite the process. Who knows? And then the last thing, Brent Venables is heavily rumored right now to be the following guy at Oklahoma to replace Lincoln Riley. We don't know anything official yet. There's a chance by the time this is out tomorrow on Thursday, it's already been announced. But I want to throw it to you guys. Big schools. This is something that we really haven't seen. We knew that there would be some kind of weird fallout from the NILs and from the constant transfer portal stuff now. But this is really the first time it's reared its ugly head. What are your thoughts and how is this going to affect all of our teams at home? I think that, you know, this it, it could it could affect the Big Ten in a in a very big way. And we've kind of already seen like what Lincoln Riley has done in his three days as the head coach of USC for recruiting. It's been unbelievable. He's had four four Oklahoma commits decommit and commit to him at USC. And so I think you're going to see that all over the place. I think Notre Dame losing Brian Kelly to LSU could actually open up a couple of opportunities for some Midwest schools like Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, Michigan State to get some of those Notre Dame guys that might have been attached to Brian Kelly, which, you know, that guy, I, I don't like Brian Kelly at all. So I don't know how anybody would. Really, I, I don't know. Be so attached to him, I guess, is what I'm saying. And then Brett Pry going to going to Virginia Tech. Hayden said that uh, Gaddis was rumored to go there. I I personally didn't see that, but you know Brett Pry, you know Penn State losing their defensive coordinator is kind of a kind of a big deal. Not sure if he's going to bring some recruits along with him to Virginia Tech, but yeah, you know it could have a massive impact on the Big Ten and the recruiting trail, but. You know, ultimately, I really have no idea. Can't really tell. Maybe, and maybe I'm overreacting and you guys are calling me crazy. I think the most, no, okay, I'm not going to say this because this is, this is way off base. The second most impactful move so far impacting the Big Ten is Brent Pry going to Virginia Tech. And I say that because, one, his defenses have been excellent when he's at Penn State. He's a good recruiter. And talking like Ohio State specifically, he has always called an amazing game when Penn State is playing Ohio State, like always. You know, going to a location where Penn State, you know, likes to recruit that mid-Atlantic type area, it, that's going to be very interesting to see how James Franklin handles that. And, you know, if if anybody is going to decommit from Penn State, go to Virginia Tech or maybe even if anybody transfers, that's going to be an interesting situation. Obviously the Notre Dame move could open up some things like he said for some other Midwest schools. Now the, the thing about Lincoln Riley, obviously Ohio state has been recruiting nationally for longer than most of the big 10 schools. And I mean, more than anybody else in the conference. So I think that has the biggest impact on Ohio state. And we're already seeing it with a couple of the 2022 and 2023 guys just the impact of having a huge name out there. So I, I think that I said Brent Brent Pry was the second most important move. Lincoln Riley is definitely number one. I, I'm not really worried about Notre Dame and what and what that does, but Lincoln Riley can really shut off the whole state of California, which has been a huge access for Ohio State. One thing too that I, I think that everybody is treating this as this is going to be a one-off thing. With everything going on, get used to this in the off season. You're going to see craziness more often than not 
where people are going... I mean, there's never been such a high level of pressure on these even Tier 2 and Tier 3 programs to get themselves in a position to win a conference championship, get to a college football playoff. They're going to see massive rumors. You're going to see people like trading schools, whether that be players or coaches. It's going to be insane. But it is good, I think, for college football too that you're going to have the USC's of the world, that you're going to have eventually with Brent Venables or whoever else it is, maybe a defensive-minded Oklahoma coach going into the SEC. Like This is going to really change just the dynamic of college football at large. It feels much more now like a... What's the word for uh, like a country at large game? Not it's not a regional game anymore. It's a national game, and I I don't know. It's it makes fun talking for us, but it's a little weird as a football fan. One thing too that I wanted to touch on with this is, my goodness, these coaching contracts are massive. I mean we we were about. We were stunned when we heard about Mel Tucker's extension with Michigan State because, I mean, really outside of this year, he literally hasn't done anything as a head coach. And so to give him a 10-year, $95 million guarantee was kind of kind of crazy. And then we saw, you know, that's exactly the same price tag that LSU got Brian Kelly for. And I thought I saw that um, Lincoln Riley is getting $110 million at USC or something like that. It's just, my goodness, these uh, these coaches are getting paid for sure. And that that just makes you question how, I think we said this the other week, like how big Ryan Day's contract is going to be if he ends up staying at Ohio State long term or, goodness, uh, if, if Nick Saban ever wanted to go to Alabama and say, hey, these guys are getting too close to me, I want more money, I'm sure that he would uh, he would get that too, but... Yeah, I mean, unbelievable how big these contracts are getting now. Well, imagine, too, if Nick Saban does retire in the next few years, Dabo Sweeney getting a call going back home. The number on that would be ridiculous right now. And the $110 million, it's rumored, obviously. We will never, I guess, know unless it's divulged because it's a private university. Hey, guys, sorry to interrupt, but since we're talking about this stuff, it sounds like... Marcus Freeman is going to be named the head coach at Notre Dame going forward. Wow. They aren't even entertaining. According to On3 Sports, which is the new college sports website, I guess. Yeah, they're not even entertaining the Urban Meyer conversation and stuff like that. So that's definitely interesting. And Marcus Freeman, I know a lot of people in this part of the country wanted him as a defensive coordinator at Ohio State or other major schools like that. So that's a a loss in their own right there. And if Brian Kelly stays, who knows? Maybe he is vultured to go somewhere else. That I mean, that's definitely another element. But what I was saying before about Lincoln Riley, that's a private school, but there, it wasn't just $110 million. It was they promised to upgrade facilities. His family has access to a private jet 24-7. The rumors around that are absurd. And if they are true, it shows how desperate that university and that fan base is to get back on the national stage. We want to remind you guys that Pigskins and Nylon is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the best Delta 8 THC edible in the market. It's sugar-free, keto-friendly, gluten-free, heat-resistant, made of 100% pharmaceutical-grade ingredients with consistent dosing for the perfect edible experience. But hey, if you're not into Delta 8 THC, that's not a problem. 
TabEase offers an option with no THC while using the same proprietary drug delivery system to ensure that guaranteed dosage of CBD. Right now, TabEase.com offers three flavors, galactic fruit, watermelon, and mint. Mint is my personal go-to, and it's perfect anytime you are feeling anxiety and stress running your life. As some of you may know, I've been battling depression and anxiety for a long time. Products like this really help me when I'm feeling overwhelmed. It's not a quick fix, but it really has helped me, and I'd recommend them to anybody, even if they weren't our sponsor. So please make sure you do follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Tabby's Co. That's Tabby's Co. spelled T-A-B-E-A-S-E-C-O to be the first to know when they drop. You can get any of these products at tabease.com. And with the promo code BIG10, you can get 20% off your entire order and free shipping. This is the moment we've been waiting for all year. Iowa and Iowa and Michigan are meeting up. I, I wanted to say Ohio State. My brain was... This is not the moment I've been waiting for, Wally, at all. Yeah, I'm not even going to edit that out because that's just where my brain was. That this was just a chalk. Like, Ohio State had to be there. It's like in my brain. But Michigan... The Wolverines, they are hosting. God, my brain's disheveled. But they are playing Iowa in Indianapolis in the Big Ten Championship. Before I get into the Lions, I figure we'll do something very similar to last week with Ohio State and Michigan. Open the floor, just talk a little bit about these games, a little bit about these teams, and then we'll get into the picks from there. Anything you guys want to start with? You know, like I mentioned on our Sunday show, I I think both teams... Couldn't have asked for uh, a better opponent or an easier, not easier, but both teams wanted these two teams to be playing each other. You know what I'm saying? They both come in on four-game win streaks. I I think it's fair to say that Michigan's win streak is a little bit different than Iowa's. Iowa beat Northwestern and Minnesota by five points each, beat Nebraska by seven, and beat Illinois by ten and you know we've we've seen what Michigan's four four game win streak has been, but yeah, I mean one thing that really stood out to me as I started breaking down the comparisons of the two, you know we we talked about how good Iowa's defense is all year long, and looking at the stats here, Michigan allows point one less points per game, seventeen point two to seventeen point three, and they actually only give up four yards more a game than what this Iowa defense does. Michigan allows 319, Iowa 315. Now now the big obvious, you know, we've we've hated on Iowa's offense all year long. And I would be interested to know if there's ever been a 10-win team that averages less yards on offense than what they give up on defense. I feel like that is just incredible because I don't know if I've ever seen a team like that before. That's That's an incredible stat. But obviously offense is where – the big difference is Michigan averaging 450 yards a game and 37 points compared to Iowa's 25 points per game and 299 yards per game. So really interesting game on paper, but it's 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 for it all. So I I really do think Iowa's going to come out and, and give everything that they can. Michigan by a billion. <laughs> it might win by a billion, and we're going to be getting into gambling not too far along in, your, in the future here. But going into what you were talking about, Casey, the turnover battle is what has survived and what has made Iowa this year. They have forced the third most turnovers in the entire country at 27, averaging over one full turnover more than their opposition every game. 
That's how they're doing it. And this team, they're just very fundamental. They're not going to wow you with anything. Even on defense, they're not a team that even gets after the quarterback much. That was something that I wanted to look at before we went into this game because I'm like, wow, you know what? We always talk about this Michigan pass rush. Maybe Iowa, they've done a little bit more than I expected. And when I was looking through it, I'm like, wow, I'm even shocked. They haven't been able to get after the quarterback even. I mean, they only have 12 sacks in conference play this year to Michigan's 27. And that's 12th versus the second in the conference. And that's just not something you would imagine when you've been talking about how great this Iowa defense has been all year. I don't know. Between that and what we just were saying with sacks, on the flip side, I was allowed 31 in this year. That's 92nd in the country. I mean, Michigan gets after the quarterback almost as good as anyone in the world. And I, I just, and on theirs, I mean, they've only allowed nine sacks. That's going to be a major factor in this game because Michigan doesn't fall behind the sticks. If Iowa does, they will win by a billion, Hayden. I, I feel like we literally just had this conversation last week of if Ohio State could block Michigan's defensive ends, and we found out the answer was no. I, I'm not falling into the trap that Iowa can do anything remotely close to blocking anybody on Michigan's team, Michigan by a billion. Casey. Hutchinson's going to win the Heisman. <laughs> Casey, I want to ask you a question. If you are Iowa, because you've watched both of these teams a lot this year, what is the way to get a W against Michigan? Because the only way I can imagine is if it's like a 13-10 kind of score. Yeah, that's exactly how Iowa wins this game. The quick answer to how do, how does that happen is ball control, ball control, ball control. They need to win the time of possession are they going to have 15-minute drives? I mean, that's literally the only way. Yeah, like I'm saying, like, they need to win it 40-20. to 20. And not that Michigan's offense is explosive, but as we saw last week, they're very efficient with their drives. And so if Michigan's going to score, if, the, if Michigan only gets three possessions the whole game and they score on two of them, that's that's how Iowa needs to win this game. Unless they've been been saving up some offensive plays and – you know, hiding hiding some stuff that we haven't seen all year. I, I, I this game needs to be low scoring if Iowa's going to win. They're the reverse Nebraska. I mean, their average margin of victory this year is between seven and eight, and they're a ten win team. It's crazy. They're winning these games the exact opposite way that Nebraska's been losing them. And at least, and I the only reason I thought of that just now is because Spencer Petrus will be starting in this game. Alex Padilla came in and started against Nebraska, got pulled when he was struggling. Peters took the job and he ran with it again. So it's his once again. But I I just can't imagine how this team's going to have any success, uh, whether it's on the ground or through the air. I didn't realize how bad their passing offense had been until I was looking up the stats. They don't have a wide receiver. Oh, wide receiver, over 400 yards. They have eight total touchdowns and nobody has more than 26 catches. The you. There, you cannot beat this Michigan team. I don't know how they're going to do it. I'm trying, and I don't know how they're going to do it. Tyler Goodson has to carry the ball 45 times for 250 yards. I, don't, I, 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 I mean, I'm just making shit up, but honestly, I, I mean, there's no other way. Literally zero. I would bet my mortgage. What, one recipe, in my opinion, for Iowa to win this game, too, is to do what they do best and do what Michigan doesn't do, and that's force turnovers. Uh, McNamara's only been picked off three times this entire year. 
McCarthy, I think, has got picked off once. Hassan Haskins doesn't hardly ever – I don't know if he's fumbled this entire year, actually. It's it's very obvious, like, in, in most games, whoever wins the turnover battle has a really good chance of winning. But to be honest with you, it needs to be, like, 3 nothing, in my opinion, for them to even have a shot still. That, that's just another – another key to an Iowa Hawkeye victory. Well, like even running the ball, it's not like they've been exceptional this year. So going to like the Tyler Goodson, he has to run it down their throat. We haven't seen it against anybody. Why is it going to happen this week in a game? You know that that defensive line is going to be fired up. I, I just don't imagine it happening, but here now we will give you the lines and then we can decide from there. Want to talk some more. We want to pick the game. How Michigan we want to buy a billion. Maybe you have Michigan by a billion like Hayden. But here it is, our only line of the week. Michigan, the line is now at 10.5. That seems low. I'm, I'm, I, all three of us are talking right now. That's the only thing. It's what we said at the top of the show with Vegas. The fact that it's only 10.5, what am I missing here? The over-under is set at 43.5. I don't know who wants to take this first, but I don't know what Vegas sees to uh, per, what, perceive this being a 10.5-point game. I'll go first. Uh, Michigan minus 10.5. Hammer the hell out of it. Just hammer it. As much money as you want to throw on it. Hammer the hell out of it. I'm taking the over because Michigan might hit the over by themselves. I'm going 42 to 17. That's a lot of maybe, points for Iowa. Maybe not even 17. 45 to 42 to 10. Hayden, that's not what your uh, prediction says on the, on the Google Doc right now, though. Yeah, it says a billion to zero, but I mean, it might as well be. Oh, uh, shoot. You know, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm going to take Michigan minus the 10 and a half. I, I think Iowa's going to come out to play. I don't think this is going to be a cakewalk necessarily for Michigan the entire game. They're going to be the more talented team. That, I mean, shoot, if they come out and play half the game like they did last week, I think they still could win. I'm going to go with the under just because – I don't think that Iowa is I, – I think Iowa is going to try to control the ball as much as they can and really try to limit Michigan's possessions. And so I don't think Michigan scores as much as what Hayden did. And I think Iowa's going to – Iowa's going to throw a tricky play in there or something and get a get kind of a BS touchdown. I have Michigan winning 28-14 to 14 in this game. Something tricky that we could talk about is both of these teams have returned a kickoff this year. And that is something that in a game like this, if Iowa can win the special teams battle, maybe get a special teams turn or a turnover, a special teams like block punt or a score, I think that's going to be the recipe to really stay in this game or a defensive score even. I think that you might even see this be at a halftime score, similar to you, Casey. They're going to come out to play like a 7-7 game. And everybody's like, oh my God, is Iowa going to get it done? And then Michigan comes out in the second half and does what they do all year. They're going to take care of business. And you'll see it being like 28 to 7 or something like that. So I do have the minus 10 and a half. I also have the under. My score is 34 to 6 because I do think that if Michigan scores early, they're going to put this game to bed early. But if I was able to get that initial surge, even if it's a field goal, maybe they can hang around. I just don't believe it happens. Yeah, and Wally, I see that you have these questions written down here. And and that's another thing. 
or, or one of the things that you have written down is something that I didn't even talk about really, but can can Michigan stay focused coming off of obviously their biggest win in a really long time? When would you say? Because I know that you're not a fan anymore, but you've been a fan a lot of your life. I don't know when I can even remember a win being bigger than the one they had last Saturday. Not in my lifetime, I guess. It, maybe you can go back to the 03 Michigan-Ohio State game, but in terms of the desperation and what was on the line, yeah, Michigan hasn't had a win like this in a, in a really, really long time. And so how was Sunday? You know, how, how was Monday? How was keeping their focus on still playing a, a very quality defense in, in Iowa? So that'll be really, really interesting. I think if I think if Michigan comes out, obviously hot, gets up 21 nothing real quick, they did what they said and celebrated Saturday and regained focus on Sunday. But I, I you know, that might not be the case. I, I feel like that's a hard time. All week long, they've heard so far this week about how Michigan is, is back. Michigan has an easy, easy uh, ride to the college football playoff for the first time. So, uh, I mean, as long as they can, uh, they need to, they need to stay focused to avoid this upset. I think if I was a Michigan fan, I'd still be hung over from Saturday. I know. I think you would too. And you imagine even as a player, it's got to be such a different feeling, especially for Michigan, having year in, year out. For like, imagine a senior on that football team. You've been told for four years, you guys can't win the big game. You can't beat Ohio State. And now all of a sudden, you beat Ohio State and you become America's darlings. And now everybody's talking Michigan up. Wow, That's disgusting to say. That's disgusting. It might be disgusting, but it's the truth. Because you know the moment they beat Ohio State, you won a lot of unbiased people over in that game, at least for the year. And now, if this Michigan team, you've been told all this good stuff now, do they come out the same hungry? Because I I just, you've seen it before. I'm not saying it's going to happen with them. You've actually heard me say it's not going to happen. But you've seen teams come out where it's like, guys, mission accomplished. They're going to, it's like gift wrapped. We're in the Big Ten Championship. We're now the Big Ten Champions. I was getting their feeling in their head. They're getting disrespected. Everybody's taking Michigan. No one thinks they have a shot. That's the only way I can imagine Michigan falling short is that they drank their own Kool-Aid. I would completely agree with that. I, I guess all three of us don't think they drank their own Kool-Aid enough. But we will see. Sunday we'll be talking plenty about it. Lot to talk about too, probably from other championship games Saturday that might decide what the playoff matchups might be. But you guys and are good. A Heisman winner and a Heisman winner. Great call, Casey. That's Hutchinson. a great point. But you guys are good though, right? To wrap up, or do you, anything you want to say? This is the time to say it. Well, I so the uh, the all Big Ten teams came out yesterday and today and the awards. I didn't know if we wanted to touch on those at all. Hell yeah, man! That's a great idea. I don't have it in front of me, though. So if you have it, can you give us the first and second teams at least right now? You're the man, Casey. Yeah, so I, I'll uh, I'll read off the, the the major individual award winners first. Stroud won Offensive Player of the Year. Hutchinson won Defensive Player of the Year. Stroud won Freshman of the Year. So, kind of surprising that Mel Tucker swept both of the Coach of the Years, the Coach's vote and the media vote. Quarterback of the year, Stroud. Receiver of the year, David Bell. Running back of the year, Kevin Walker. Offensive lineman of the year, 
Tyler Linderbaum, defensive lineman of the year, Hutchinson, kicker of the year, Moody, hunter of the year. Bullshit. And, and this one kind of surprised me because every time I've watched Iowa, I, I've, I've always been like, why is this guy back there returning punts? Gosh dang it. Charlie Jones of Iowa won return specialist of the year. So I must be an idiot. I think he returned a punt and a kick this year. Plus, he was the guy with three touchdowns I was referring to from the Iowa receiver. So, as far as an Iowa receiver goes this year, he had a great year. Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. But, but all right, so do we care about the coaches' selection or the media selections? What are you thinking? I feel coaches, well, I would say. I, I value the coaches more than the yeah, media. Yeah, me too. The media okay. sucks. All right, yeah, so uh, first team all offense – or first team all offense. First team offense in the Big Ten. Stroud quarterback, Haskins and Walker at running back. Olave and Bell at receiver. Linderbaum, Munford, Seltzner, Falele, and MPF were the offensive linemen. So that's that's why I don't understand. How does Olave get it over Garrett Wilson or Smith and Jigba? Like that's what doesn't make sense to me. I get it, he's older and he's more yeah. well known, but come on. Yeah, and I think I a lot of it probably had more touchdowns. I think I think too. I think he had thirteen or something like that. So maybe that that's what they valued more. And then Jake Ferguson got tied in. So you know, for me, the the first team offense that really surprised me was that no Michigan offensive linemen got first team, which is really surprising because they've been really good all year. Obviously, with Haskins and Corum running the ball. And then they only allowed nine sacks total all year, and that was with McCarthy and McNamara. So offensively, do you guys have any any other surprises outside of Olave getting it over Wilson? Another question. So where are you seeing these stats? Because I see, like, what, the Big Ten Network did their first team all Big Ten, and it says Hassan Haskins was on it, coaches and media. Yeah, yeah. So there's a document on the Big Ten website. It's five pages long, and it has – all Big Ten team as selected by coaches, and it has underneath it, it has the media. And did I say Haskins didn't? I yeah. thought you said that there were no offensive players on Michigan on the first oh, team. Oh, I, I meant offensive linemen. Okay, that makes so much more sense. Sorry, I'm an idiot and misheard you. Go ahead, Casey. It's my bad. And yeah, any surprises or anything from the first team offense before I get into, before I get into the defense? I guess if I was going to, I guess less surprising, but a, just a couple guys that I at least wanted to say, we went into the preseason talking about how good Tyler Lindenbaum was going to be. You don't see centers get drafted in the first round very often in the NFL. He's going to, and he's going to probably be up in the mid-teens. That tells you how special this guy is. It's like an Alex Mack kind of center prospect going out into the NFL. The guy's going to be a 10-year pro. So that I just wanted to say, and it's just amazing to me that every single time I finally forget about one Wisconsin tight end, they have another one that's there for 18 years. I'm just getting over Troy Fumagalli, and we're here with Jake Ferguson. Like, I need it to stop. Hayden, do you have anything, brother? No, I hate postseason awards. All right. Uh, well, getting into the, the defensive award or first team then. Hutchinson uh, got first team D-line. Haskell Garrett. Arnold Ebikati. Yeah, there you go. George Karloff just got first team as well. Ojabo Chanel, Chanel from Wisconsin. And Jack Sanborn. I feel like Jack Sanborn's been there forever too. Dane Belton and Riley Moss, the Iowa duo, got first team defensive backs. 
along with Dax Hill and Jaquan Brisker from Penn State. Any surprises there? Yeah, I have a huge surprise on uh, right off the bat. Where's Ohio State's linebackers and secondary in the first in the first team unit? Unbelievable. How do they not get it? They deserved it all year. I'm too sad to do this right now. So no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna answer that right there. No, I'm actually still in the process of freaking trying to pull it up right now. So bear with me, Casey. So if you guys have anything else you, you must want to live say, in nineteen thirty. Dude, well, now that I'm a man without Twitter, I am a broken man in terms of the internet. Go to big10.org, and it's on, like, the front page. No, I really actually don't think there are a lot of surprises there. The giant names that we've been talking about all year are the guys there on that defensive line, are those pass rushers. You get Dax Hill there in the secondary. It's a very special year, I felt like, in terms of the Big Ten because it really was spread out. You have talent throughout the Big Ten where sometimes it's either top-heavy, where it's Ohio State and Penn State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Michigan, blah, blah, blah. But this time it really did feel... I mean, George Carl Loftus... I mean, we have probably haven't talked about a defensive player at Purdue in this high esteem probably since Ryan Kerrigan. So this is awesome. You don't have any beef with your boy Micah McFadden only getting second team? See, I talked him up all year, but when you're on a team that goes 0-9 in conference, it makes it really hard to be first team. In fact, in my opinion, if you don't win a game in conference, you should have no all-team selections. Yeah, I, I'm uh, trying to look through these real quick. I, I should have done some research. But I believe, if my eyes are telling me correct, that he is the only player on Indiana's team to get first, second, or third team. And that includes offense and defense. So that's that's kind of incredible right there. I mean, it's like in the NFL, if you go 0-16-1 like the Lions this year, it doesn't mean every player on that team is terrible. It's just you're stuck in hell. And he was stuck in hell this year. You know, you want to know something that's absolutely hilarious? What's that? Seven Banks got honorable mention. I, I don't know how that's even possible. Yeah, I mean, he didn't, I guess, have to play Saturday, which saved him a little bit of grief. That helps. What do you mean? He was the missing link, man. If he, if we had him, we win that game. I Again, I'm too sad to talk about it. I've been trying. I feel like I've put on such a brave face talking about the Michigan-Iowa game as enthusiastically as I have when I'm going to have to be, like, hammered drunk to get through it. I, I might not even watch it. I'm not even going to lie. Oh, my goodness. You guys are crazy. I'll watch it. It's going to be great football. You want to know something that's funny, it. though, that's actually funny, is I, I read – I forget where I read this, but apparently Ohio State fans had already pre-booked hotel and had a bunch of tickets. And <laughs> obviously now that they're not playing, <laughs> they're not selling their tickets. So all the price, that's why the prices are going – skyrocket crazy it's because Ohio State fans are holding them and Michigan fans are like fuck you give me the ticket your team's not playing and you know it's just kind of petty but it is what it is well I mean what this rivalry in the last week even has been more petty than we've seen it in a long time if anything at least it it, it feels good that we're under their skin a little bit that's all I can say Going back to the first team offense real quick uh just because I found something that I I thought was kind of a Kind of surprising, I guess, was that McNamara got third team quarterback, O'Connell got second, and Talia Tonga Viola had a had a really good year statistically. And when you know when he didn't turn the ball over the you know five or probably four or five games this year, 
he, I mean, he was really, really good. So that that kind of surprised me that McNamara got third team over over Talia. But you know, other than that, you could nitpick all all around it if you really want to. Like you could interchange Wilson and Olave. You could interchange Olave and John Dotson really for first team receiver. So I I don't know. I this receiver team though first second third my goodness this thing is this thing is loaded with a lot of talent like we already knew though in the big 10 i guess the only thing and you don't want to nitpick on uh talia tagabaloa at all the only thing that you can nitpick is that once they got into conference play they went three and six and quarterbacks i feel like are married to wins a lot more than the guys like micah mcfadden would be so that's the only i guess argument i'd have against him yeah, I would agree with that. And I just wanted to give a quick update mid-show because the Big Ten Conference is pulling away in the second half of these early games. Uh, Michigan State's now up 16, 11 minutes left in the second half. Nebraska's up 10 with 8 minutes left in the second half. And Maryland is up 7 with 11 minutes left in the second half. So the Big Ten could just cancel the rest of the games tonight. If uh, Michigan State, Nebraska, Maryland end up pulling out dubs and and could still win the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So let's go Big Ten. After the damn Big East fiasco here last week or the week before, it's good to it feels like the everything's kind of writing itself and easing into the season now. And you're starting to notice a little bit of the talent gap that is the Big Ten and how good this conference is as a whole. But are you guys good to wrap up? Sweet, we will do it right now. That is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon, brought to you by TabEase.com, the world's best Delta 8 edible. We'll be back early next week to break down the Big Ten Championship game. Next time we talk to you, we should have an idea if the Big Ten has a college football playoff representative or not. If you like our podcast, please share it and spread it around to your friends and family. And make sure you go and follow us on our Twitter at Pod. Facebook at P and N pod and Instagram also at P and N pod. We're at our final big 10 weekend until bulls. Do you guys have any final thoughts for us? Actually, I don't, I don't think I do. I'm just going to hang up Christmas stuff and cheer on the big 10 for the rest of the night. So hope you guys have a good night too. Casey talked about Devin Brown's, Commitment to Ohio State for 2022 at quarterback. I'm wondering what that does or what that means for the couple guys that are still in the quarterback room with Kyle McCord and Glenn Years. I'm wondering if we'll see some movement here within the next couple of weeks. It'll be interesting to see for sure. See, I, I don't think that that will... You think that's going to get settled out before spring ball? Because I feel like they that McCord and Ewers have to... Have to battle it out, and then whoever wins it, the number two job is going to stay. You would think, and then whoever's at three would leave. But I get, I guess I don't know. My thought is, you've already seen McCord's last game as an Ohio State Buckeye. I think that yours is going to be sharpening into the number two at worst job before, not before spring, but but I'm saying early on into spring. And I think McCord will be gone. I don't think it has much to do with this particular announcement though but thank you guys so much for listening we'll be back here next week for another episode of pigskins and nylon